Well, we're going to talk tonight on the concept of why people die early. And I'm going to give you seven reasons why people go home ahead of time. And so you can write down different scriptures on this concept, but I put everything that I can find together on this scripture. Now, there was one time Jesus was addressed with this idea. You know, I was thinking about when we're praying for our town. Lord, help us. We're perishing. Help us, help us, help us. And it's unusual what he said. The one time he was asked about this theology, they asked him, they said, why did this accident happen to this group of people? Like a tower fell on one, the tower of Siloam fell. Then the other ones, um, listen to this one. There were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. That's quite a, a way to go. And so the question they asked theologically was what, you know, we want to know is, were they worse sinners? I mean, what caused that to happen? Why them and not them? And he says something real interesting there. He said, I tell you, no, it's not because of that. But repent, lest you likewise shall perish. Now, isn't that an odd way to handle it? I mean, he tells you, no, it's not that on these groups of people where things happen to them, but no... But he said, you need to repent, lest you also perish. So I would say the best thing to do is repent. Just repent. Just clean it up by repenting. So evidently, repentance has something to do to keep us alive. Repentance just gives us some prolonged life. So I see repentance as a very good thing. So when no one in the world wants to repent anymore, it may be the cause of all the problems. Because he said, repent lest you also perish. So it's a very unique thing. You could do quite a bit with that theology there. But I just wanted to throw that in. So tonight's not going to be a judgment on, oh, this is why it happened. Aha, you know, I know why so-and-so died. It's not going to be that. It's going to be prevention. I want you to look at it and say, okay, these are some scriptures that God has put in his Bible to give us some prevention on it. Because you know we all have different family members, friends that have open doors. And sometimes you stand in the gap or pray in the hedge or some of those grandkids or some of the people we run around with, you can tell that something's coming after them. Something's trying to destroy them. And I mean, if you spend any time on Facebook, it's horrible out there. And so we're living in a time of the enemy's great wrath, and it is just trying to devour people. So it's a good time for us to look into this for the possibilities of what causes this to happen. Now, I'm going to give you a verse on what I call the purpose for your life. You will not hear this verse anywhere else. No one will say this to you this way. And it's the parable of the barren fig tree. And Jesus spoke this parable. A man, a certain man, had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it, and he found none. Then he said to the keeper of the vineyard, Look, for three years I've come here seeking some fruit from this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? Why is it wasting ground? But he answered and he said, Sir, let it alone. Just give it one more year. I'm going to dig around it. I'm going to put some water on it, and I'm going to fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well... If not, then you can cut it down. So it's interesting here to see that if you're getting a lot of manure placed around you, things stink. If you're in a lot of rough relationships, the manure is because you're in your fourth year. <laughs> that it's being put around you to help you to grow. Because if you're not growing because of sweet things like sunlight and water, then the Lord uses manure and spaden it up. But I really like this verse because it tells me that if we're not doing our purpose in life, we're wasting ground. You know, just breathing. We're kind of taking in air. So it shows that there comes a certain point of accountability. This is a time in your life in Luke 13 that it's telling you that you have to do something to be able to bear fruit, that that's the purpose of your life. So I wrote a lesson on seven hindrances to healing, but this is seven reasons why some people might die early. Now, this isn't a sad lesson. It's not sad. It'll give you strength. It's not a downer. So we're going to start out on seven reasons someone may die early. And I like the words of Jeremiah. They're kind of poetic. 
That'll be my subtitle. Her sun has set while it was yet day. Her sun has set while it was yet day. Now that is my definition of dying early. The sun sets while it's still day. Because I've looked into this theological idea of it can happen too soon. So with Psalm 91, 16 promising you a long life satisfied with good things. Psalm 103, 5, years filled with good things. We've got to make issue with why sometimes something happens that wrecks someone. Thank goodness we serve the I am resurrection. Thank goodness that he proved that death was not the final thing. Thank goodness there's an eternity. And then thank goodness he even told Martha and Mary, if you'll believe, I am the resurrection. So I was going to tell you that Jesus is very intent on life. He's gone to a lot of extreme difficulties and pain and just him living the life that he lived on this earth so that you could have a long life. I don't want you to miss out on it just because you didn't know. So God's intent for you was no death. He actually intended for you to live forever with no death on earth. Now you're going to live forever but his intention was paradise to be eternal. And the fall of man changed that. You know, man was supposed to live just forever eating out of the tree of life. Now, what's unique about this is when the Lord told him, if you eat this fruit, you're surely going to die. There was so much life in man. There was so much of it that it took hundreds and hundreds of years for some of them to die after that. You remember, they lived a long, long time. You can think of the guy who was the longest living guy on the earth. But these records were almost at a thousand years for a few of them. So you see that he put so much of a life substance in you, so much of his breath of life in you, that it was really hard for us to even start the death process. It was hundreds and hundreds of years. So I want you to realize that God is life. He's for life. He's pro-life. He's the one that's infusing life into it in a generation of death and darkness and where everyone else has different ideas. So the definition of the word salvation is rescue, safety, protection. But just because that's the definition of salvation, it does not mean it's going to work in your life. There's some things that the Bible tells us take place. Now, after the fall of man, it's actually recorded how long a person should live. And I think most people kind of quote it wrong. Now, I'm going to give you two verses, and you can look at both of them. But Genesis 6, 3, God spoke this one. And he said, I'm not going to strive with man forever. I'm giving him... 120 years. <laughs> so uh, that works well on video, but not so well on audio. Okay, so in Genesis 6, 3, for 120 years is what God gave us. And medical science has proved that out. If you study the body, every way they look at, they look at the design of our human body, and it's made to go for 120 years. It attempts to live that amount of years upon the earth. Now, Psalm 90.10 is what Moses said. So Genesis is what God said, but Moses said, how quickly our 70 or 80 years goes by. And the prayer of Moses says, he observed, God said, Moses said, yet he lived this amount of life. In Psalm 90 verse 10, he said, you're given 70 years upon the earth, but if you have due strength, it gets in 80s and up. So it's the strength that keeps you going because there's a certain point when your strength starts ebbing you start giving up so it's your strength is what the psalmist says so god has allotted 120 now there's things like life extensions you can get some life extensions like pac-man all right 
Kind of like hair extensions. That's why, we, that's why we're smiling over here. Okay, in 1 Kings 3.14, it says, Walk in my ways and obey me. And it, it increases your life. So walking with the Lord, number one, it just makes you look younger. Have you ever seen someone that had a hard life? You go, oh, they've lived a hard life. But walking with the Lord, it gives you that extra strength. Proverbs 3.16, wisdom carries a promise of a long life. So a wise person just has the promise of living longer. Now, if you haven't been quoted this as a child, Ephesians 6, 3, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon this earth, that someone doesn't take you out. <laughs> so if you dying young can be disobedience, it can be foolishness, which is the opposite of wisdom. It can be dishonoring mom and dad, being a mocker or a viler. So there's degrees of destruction that are, are laid out there. John 10, 10 shows you that it stacks. One is the enemy, the devil comes to steal. So he might try to steal the satisfaction off your life or kill. But his ultimate design for us is to destroy us. So you see the S-K-D, steal, and then he goes after it more to kill and destroy but it says that I've come that you might have life and not just average life, better than you can conceive it. So he contrasts the ideas so you can know directly who steals, who kills, and who destroys. You can draw a line down the center of the page and know who does what. There's also another factor that works in it, and that's in Deuteronomy 28, verse 20. It's the curse. You can get a curse on you. And part of the curse of the law is to die early. It's a curse to die early. Deuteronomy 28, 66, it's that you have no assurance of life. In verse 20, it talks about dying early. But in verse 66, it could be that you live, but you have no assurance you're going to live long. You just feel like that, you know, nothing's promised. It's just you never know what's going to happen. So part of the blessing is having an assurance of life. That's very different than how most people teach it. But I wanted you to know that that's very established under the curse of the law. So it's not automatic. It's not an automatic thing. There's no grandfather clause that just because you're a good person. Because a lot of people will tell me they're trying to negotiate for a person's life to live a long time by saying, well, they're a good person. That's the best Christian I know. How am I alive? Because I know they're a better Christian than I was. And so you start trying to ration out this scales to say, why would somebody, you know, live or die? Or maybe it's good attendance you think causes somebody to live or die. Just because you go to Bible study, just because you're a church goer, just because you've heard the most sermons, it doesn't make it where you live the longest upon the earth or that you have these life extensions. Just knowing the word, surprisingly, doesn't increase your lifespan. Just because I teach it, it doesn't increase my lifespan. I have to do it. So this not automatic, people think, oh, what, what do you mean you're telling me it's not automatic? But we believe this completely in the area of sin. Isn't that true? Like, after you got saved, have you just never sinned again? Once you, The day you got saved, from that point on, did you never sin again? Well, I don't hear all of you saying, yeah, I never sinned. We've sinned, haven't we, since salvation? Even though the Bible tells you you're dead to sin, theologically, Sin has no power in your life. You're a dead man. Even water baptism symbolizes that you're dead to yourself and alive to Christ. But do you sin? Yes. So it's the same with sin as it is sickness and protection. What is technically paid for is not automatically ours. So there can be some things that you theologically are given by God. Just like the land of Israel was given to the children of Israel. The land was given to the children, but it didn't automatically become theirs. There was a few problems called giants. 
Okay, so let's look into that. So things are not automatically ours just because we're a Christian. We don't go, oh, we're now into that salvation of what you're talking about, protection and all that. It means that there is some things that have to take place. Just um, good person, good attendance, and knowing the word, uh, good knowledge of the word is not enough. So there's some things that you have to do for yourself. And especially for people you're believing for, you know, you can't do it for them, and they can't do it for you. It would be just like for me to say, uh, would you go to the bathroom for me real quick? <laughs> well, it doesn't work, does it? <laughs> you know, would you brush your teeth for me? Um, would you kiss my boyfriend for me? I mean, just there's some things that just don't work. <laughs> Same with this. The promise is, is something individually you have to do. It's something that you have to do for yourself. As much as I might want it for you, as much as someone in your family might want it for you, this is something you've got to take responsibility for. So there's two types of people on it. There's some that get the word down in their spirit, confessing the word for years. They know that sin and sickness was dealt with on the cross. And they also know they're in spiritual warfare. Then you have other types, and they're already under a measure of destruction. You just watch them and you're like, every day is a crisis. You know, there's years of sowing and reaping to the flesh. They confessed and believed every illness that ever came along was going to be theirs. <laughs> you know, they just expected it to come to them. And then the worst part is they think God's the one doing it to them. All right. Now I'm going to tackle a couple of things. And this is the category I was most interested in. Are there verses that show premature death? I collect those because people see it as much more nailed down. But if there is such a thing as premature, it means something happened that wasn't supposed to. So premature, untimely death. I'm going to give you some verses. Ezekiel 13, 19. I want you to look at Ezekiel 18, 32. Ezekiel 33, 11. I'm going to be bold. I'm going to tell you everything that happens to you is not God's will. And that's what those verses say. That there's things that happen in this area that are not God's will. And it's talking about people die that are not supposed to, that were not God's will. It is not God's will that Adam fell, that we sin, that Israel got a king, that Absalom tried to take over David's kingdom. None of those were God's will. So... The point about premature, untimely death, you're asking, well, how does God factor into this? And I always loved how my dad said it. God doesn't take a life, but he sure does receive it. Isn't that beautiful? He doesn't take it, but he welcomes and receives a life that comes to him in that sense of uh, he's not the killer. The killer, the stealer. Or the destroyer. There is a time to die, but some go before it. Satan has a plan. Let me say it differently. God has a plan. Satan has a plan for your time to die. One of the worst things that I think that we're up against is sudden death, where it just, just came out of nowhere. So premature, untimely death. Now let's move into another category that kind of is uh, astounding, shocking, that you have a choice in it. You've got God having a plan, Satan have a plan, but your choice in the matter. This is where Jesus told them when they were going to kill him, you don't take my life. You can't take my life. I could call down legions of angels. You can't take it. He said, I lay it down. So it shows that Jesus' life was not a murder, but a sacrifice. He willingly laid his life down. It was something he gave because he chose it. Paul went through the same thing. Paul goes, oh, I'd like to die. It'd be so much easier. I'd see Jesus face to face. It'd be so great to die. But I know it'd be better for me to stay and, and be with you. I can't make up my mind what I want to do. Okay, I'll do the harder part. I'll stay for your sake. I'll stay to help you out. 
And so that's the pressure of why you keep on living is you've got something to do. But you see Paul making a choice in it. Like, I'm looking at it both ways. If I go on, it's best for me. But if I stay, it's best for you. Okay, I'll stay. So Deuteronomy 13, 19 gives you what you can do. If somebody really has this in jeopardy, I really like how Deuteronomy 30, 19 reads. It says, I've set before you life and blessing and death and the curse. Choose today. Heaven and earth is going to be a witness of the choice that you make. And if somebody makes a hardcore decision for death, you've got to do some work to pull that up. So there's a lot more involved than just their time to go. There's a lot more involved than that. You can't just quickly say that. And, you know, my advice around somebody who's lost someone is just just keep your mouth closed and pray for them because it's very emotional and there's not much theology that helps at that point. There's just a lot that you have to go through because God never intended for you to have to go through something like that. Death wasn't part of his plan. So salvation shows you have a part to play in it. Now, somebody brings up, well, martyrs. Well, martyrs is the ultimate choice. Martyrs is where I choose to sign my testimony in blood. You're not going to take my life from me, but you can make a choice that you'll lay your life down. You've got John the Baptist. you got a verse in Hebrews 11.35. Notice what Hebrews 11.35 says. It's very interesting how it talks about martyrs here. It didn't say, well, they got killed for their faith. It says, not accepting their release. That's what Paul did. They said, you go here, you'll be bound up. And And Paul didn't accept it. He didn't accept his release. So martyrs don't accept their release. They make a decision that, oh, well, I'm going to... um, I'm going to sign my testimony, and it's going to be written in my own blood. So it needs to be a firm decision, not that some accident happens that snatches your life away. Acts 7, 54 through 60, you see the similar thing of Stephen, where he got a crown for it, and he was given extra grace. There's some tough mission fields out there. We're hoping our country doesn't become that that high of a price for sharing our faith. So that factors in is that you go against culture, you go against the world, and they hate you bad enough to kill you. All right, so some people, they wonder about death. I was going to tell you, you can't keep from dying completely. 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty six tells you that death is the last enemy to be put under Christ's feet. So... There's no way for you to rebuke it and never die. <laughs> now, I might tell you, uh, you might could go up in the second coming. You might be caught up with the Lord. But I want you to notice something. People will say something, and I don't like hearing what they say. They say, death is my friend. This verse says death is your enemy. So don't get your theology wrong. Death is is part of the dark side. It's the grim reaper. Death is the last enemy. Christ put sin under there, under his feet. He put sickness under his feet. But it said that death will be the last enemy. Death won't be taken care of until the almost the end of the book of Revelation. It's in Revelation 21, 4, before death is put under his feet. So we're still wrestling against an enemy. Death is your enemy. You're in a fight against it. Death has a will to take you, and you've got to have a will to live. That's at Deuteronomy 30, 19. You will to live. I choose that life and blessing. So there's a destructive way to go, tragically killed, where Satan snatches you up, eaten up with cancer, robbed early of life, different things. It's not fair, and it's terrible. And there's productive ways to go. Productive is when you've lived out your life satisfied and full of years, and you've done the purposes of God for your generation. 
That is productive. Someone says, do you have to be sick to die? No, just close your eyes. You can just slip into heaven peacefully. I mean, you could step in front of a Mack truck, but that might be in an area where you might kind of killed yourself. (laughs) So I'm saying those subconscious things of just kind of willing to die, falling asleep, driving, that's all wrong. It's not right. Death is your enemy. That's destructive. So productive is dying for the cause of Christ would be an honor, laying down your life. People in war sometimes have laid down their life for a friend. Sometimes they've rescued somebody. Productive could be ascension. Enoch was no more. He was snatched away. Elijah just went up. Moses, um, to live for 120 years upon the earth. They say he died, but they sure couldn't find his body. So this ascension is very unique. So when your duty's done, you close your eyes and you go home to be with Jesus. Your spirit leaves and the Lord says these words to you. You pray that you've lived your life to hear these words. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Faithfulness. And then it's in this context that's the verse, Psalm 116.15, Precious in his sight is the death of his beloved ones. Precious in his sight is the death of his godly ones. So, James 2.19, believing is not enough. Just knowing the scripture is a good start, but it doesn't prevent the collapse. What I'm doing now is not enough. Just because I've taught doesn't guarantee me protection. Matthew 8, 24 and 26, we've gone into this of the two foundations. Both men hear the word of God. What's the difference? A little bitty word called do. Do, do, do. (laughs) Okay, so these are my seven reasons someone may die early, gathered from years of experience. Number one, God provided you a way of escape and you don't take it. It could be because of Hosea 2.6. And if you want to just star this one, this one covers most of it. It's lack of knowledge. You just didn't know. You didn't know about healing or protection. You'd read your Bible all your life, but you still had, no one had told you these things were provided on the cross. You got fire insurance at a young age, but after that you never knew about promises for this life. And if it's not lack of knowledge, then the second part of the verse is for sure the reason you died. It's one or the other. Lack of knowledge, you know what the second part of this verse reads? My people die for lack of knowledge. The other part is rejection of the knowledge. Yeah. People will fight you to stay sick, diseased. Die early. People will fight you. (laughs) I mean, you can get into a theological fight with them. You can get into a physical fight with them. They want this right to die early and be sick and have diseases. People want it. So you either got lack of knowledge or rejection of knowledge. And we could say, well, that's all. Because having a way of escape and not taking it. That'd be like a movie where this wonderful way of escape happens for somebody and they just wave it goodbye. Or don't see it or something. Acts 9, 23 through 25, you see Paul use a basket to escape in. Paul was using ways of escape. Like, that's pretty hilarious to be lowered down over a city wall, thrown over in a basket. You just hope for good handles and and good hinges on that basket lid. You heard the joke where this person, they're praying and praying and praying, God, save me, save me, and they're hanging on the ledge. They keep praying to God, and the helicopter flies by, drops a rope, and they wave and say, no, 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 I'm asking God. And so they don't take the helicopter ladder. Now, they may not be telling you they're scared of heights, but anyway, you've got sometimes that God sends you a way to give you an out. Acts 21, 10 through 14 is where Paul rejected his way of escape. He was given a prophecy by the Holy Spirit. This man's hands will be bound. Don't go. 
And Paul's going, I'm going to do it anyway. It's that Hebrews, he didn't accept his release. So there's choice in this. So God provides you a way and you can opt out or take it. The second one, I think I did the biggest one, but now I've done the next biggest one. This one's so big, so big. Open your mouth real wide. It's so big. It's your mouth. (laughs) It's either working for you or it's working against you. Your mouth, I want you to think, have you confessed life all your life or have you confessed death all your life? Somehow we've just gotten death into our language. Oh, that just tickled me to death. Oh, as fatal as a heart attack. I mean, some people come up with such clever ways to say it. But it's death, 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 death. And once you've started thinking about your tongue having life or death into it, you start hearing people constantly say death. So you have to find other ways to express how funny the joke was without (laughs) putting your life and death into it. It's confessing death or your tongue is removing obstacles. In Mark eleven twenty three, it says you can remove the mountain. Speak to it. Believe in your heart. This does not sound like mountains will automatically remove in your life. People go, well, that verse doesn't work. Well, people don't do it. Like It's an unusual verse, but it's using your mouth. It doesn't say think to the mountain, believe to the mountain. It says speak to the mountain. I'll give you, for instance, a friend of mine, Julie Shurek, we were all going to have an after-church dinner together. She just wasn't showing, and oh, we started raising a little bit of ruckus, but we were raising even more of a ruckus because she was supposed to bring the dessert, and she was a good cook. So, I mean, we were saying all kinds of obnoxious things about Julie Shurek doing a no-show, only to find out that a guy had knocked on her door with a asking her about his dog being lost and pushed his way in. And Julie had almost, I'm I'm remembering it to be about an hour-long battle with a man in her apartment. And Julie had stepped out of the tub and had on a bathrobe. And she began her long battle with rebuking, with a rapist in her apartment. She would start speaking the word, and he would tell her, but I have demons, and she said something would come over his face, and he was crazy, and he would jump on top of her, and she would start rebuking, and uh, she'd tell him, but my angels are stronger than your demons, and go right back to speaking God's word. And it took her 45 minutes to an hour of hard standing against him. And somehow the guy never ever was able to be successful or or truly get a hand on her. I mean, she was able to completely paralyze him when she would speak the word. He would go into a state of shock, but then you'd see him rev back up with his eyes in that, you know, a demonic state. And here he'd come towards her again. So finally he asked her for something to drink. She said, I've got cranberry juice. And he said, well, get it for me. She said, get it yourself. And she bolted out the door. She told me, she said, I ran to the mailbox in my bathrobe. And she said, all of a sudden there was a man there. And she said, will you take me? And then she thought, oh, he's a man. Look where I am. And she started falling apart. But uh, when she did the police report, they kept saying, now, how'd you get out of this? And she would tell them that she would use this verse. And she quoted the verses. And she quoted Psalm 91. And she quoted every scripture. And the police weren't writing it down. She goes, no, write it down. That's what I said. You asked me. Now write it down. And so she made them write down every single verse that she used. She reconstructed the conversation. He had been raping so many women. No one was successful. But she was the first one to get out of it completely free. And he had an earring, of all things, and lost it in the carpet. And they used the DNA and caught him. Yeah. So her prayers protected not only herself, but many, many people. And her parents had taught her the safest thing you can have, and that's the power of the name of Jesus. And this is what I'd say. Your mouth, it's either working for you or it's working against you. So people that say stupid things and start believing death and all that, They're digging, drilling a hole to Hades. 
They're making a mess for themselves. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And this can fall under the lack of knowledge. But your tongue controls the power of life or the power of death. And if you let your mouth go and you speak your fears or you're just trying to sound spiritual or your mouth is full of your doubt or unbelief or fear or death, I mean, you're just letting it go, complaining. All that stuff just makes a huge stronghold for the enemy in your life. And godly people can do this. This isn't just heathens. 1 Kings 19.4, Elijah got depressed. Verse 16, he goes, I'd rather die. Look at 16. I know it's someone in your place. Jonah, I'd like to die. Book ends. I'd like to die. I know it's someone in your place. Weary, tired of fighting, depression, bad day, scared, whatever. It's life or death. I was part of preaching the funeral of a good friend of mine. And I didn't know that she had worn down so much from, from people in her church that just were keep trying to tear it apart. She was just tired. Tired of fighting for the money, tired of fighting all the things you have to do. And so when I did Psalm 91 for her funeral, everybody was like, they asked me to speak on Psalm 91. I thought, what a scripture to speak on at her wake. And they had her in a casket behind me. And I wasn't sure I could stand up to that. I was like... Lord, that's hideous. But I got up there, and what kept coming out of my mouth is, friends don't let friends confess death. Friends don't let their friends always speak death. Friends don't let their friends speak death over their life. And so that's something I had to nail down, because some people are just determined to let that happen. So I would put that on the mouth. Number three is you have not because you ask not. This one is so unique. Just write down Acts 12, 5 through 10 and study it. The church asked for Peter. They really got behind it. The other one happened so suddenly they couldn't catch up with it. But they were able to turn it around for Peter. And he was in jail. In fact, it scared them so bad that their prayers were answered. Minister. There was a, a minister... And his wife got a terminal illness. And he just asked the Lord, will you let her finish the ministry I've been called to with me? And God healed her. Another man was up in Bangs. And his wife was eaten up with cancer. And he just went into a thing of praying all night long. He prayed for three days. And it lifted. It came off of her. He broke the power. But it took him three hard days of intercession. So this is have not because ask not. I mean, sometimes you just have to get after it. Another problem can be, I will do your will my way. <laughs> God on my terms. Christianity my way. I'm still the captain of my ship. Matthew 7, 21 through 23 is lawlessness. I did all the right actions, but on my terms. Didn't we cast it out? But we do it our way. I'll do it my way. 2 Samuel 6, 6 through 8 was destruction. And Uzzah and the ark, but he was a good man. But he was a dead man. <laughs> he was a dead one. The man died from an issue of it being done its own way. There's a difference between Jesus is my Savior and Jesus is my Lord. There is no protection in this life or the life to come. If you're not utilizing the Lordship of Jesus, unless you're really pulling into mercy. And that's what I'd pray for people that don't know. Mercy. Have mercy on them. Mercy. Because this I will do your will my way or I will just do my way, period. Elvis is singing. I did it my way. It produces so many open doors. And so... With parents, with their children, sometimes the parents are just going to do it their way. And they're leaving huge doors open for their kids. Like, mom and dad need to be quoting the word over their kids and praying these, these prayers. So Ecclesiastes 7.17, But don't be too wicked or too foolish either. Why die before you have to? 
unusual verse. Too wicked or too foolish? Why die early? That's doing it your way, foolish or wicked. Death looks for a legal entry. This is number five. It puts a neon sign on you. It's mixing the kingdoms. The worst one is around what people are doing on the occult. The occult is legal entry for death. Deuteronomy 18.10. Mocking God is another legal entry. Daniel 5, 2 through 6. Rebellion, legal entry. 2 Peter 2, 10 through 12, or 10 and 12 is rebellion. Rebellion to authority is directly linked to loss of life. Despise authority, and it says you end up destroyed like an animal gets destroyed. That's what happens to that kind of rebellion. In an area out from under your coverings, remember the covering acts as protection from the enemy. You know, one night I was reading the Reader's Digest, these true life stories, and every single kid in the stories, they had done something their parents told them not to do, and it opened up a door. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, I don't even think they realized, you know, when they were doing the putting the stories together that that whole set that they were using was like, oh, dear. Rebellion to authority is directly linked to loss of life. So I would say the person that has the authority covering over you, you know, because there's some challenges. Disobedience is a legal entry. John 5, 14, do not sin so nothing worse befalls you. Your heart gets tough and we think nothing can touch us. We had a series of people get raped and all of them were where they shouldn't have been when it happened. They were where they weren't supposed to be. Number six can be you inherited it. An early death. Sometimes you got to stop a pattern of death in the family. It reminds me of farmers. If you get those domestic turkeys, they say about turkeys, they're just looking for a place to die. There's something the dumbest. They're, bird. I mean, they will look up, stand in a, a little dish of water and get their feet wet and decide to start shaking and die. And if they don't get their feet wet, they'll look up and they'll drink the rain as it's coming down and die. I was like, these things are dumb. We raised about 30 turkey chicks that never turned into turkey because water, they just, they look for a place to go die. Some people are like that. Stop the pattern. Generational curses. Exodus 24, iniquities are passed down three and four generations. Death is a spirit, and a spirit can get on you. Revelation 6, 8, death set upon the horse. Death was thrown into the lake of fire. Revelations 20, 14. The idea of a grim reaper is not far from the literal spirit of death that comes after people. So I would say about the spirit of death, don't go to a funeral and not put your armor on. Don't go to a visitation and not take it seriously that there's there's a spirit of death vying for you. That thing's looking for somewhere to enter. I've seen families. I look at my number here and think how many I've seen, how many families I've seen wiped out. It'll start on one, and it seems to pass. When one dies, it goes to the next person. And it'll set up for them in a while, and they'll start thinking about death and having thoughts and just kind of taking chances and hoping something will happen to them and then actually wanting something to happen to them. And they start moving, that spirit of death just keeps working on their choice till it has enough anchor in them that something stupid happens. And it, they might make a, a raccoon run out in front of you and you swerve and you come into an oncoming car and you kill the whole family and yourself. Spirits of death. And it's not fair. You're trying to get fairness out of something that has no fairness to it. The devil does not play fair. He's looking for legal loopholes to do something not fair and twisted and to mess you up. Only the Word of God can keep you out of its grip. Now, I'm going to give you something that may surprise you if it's the first time you've heard it, especially when you're arguing, well, they were good. I noticed that compliant people get it first, death. Sweet people, 
The very fact you're telling me they were so good is part of the problem. They're sweet. The enemy targets him. I always thought Corey Tim Boone, she was ornery, but her sister was so sweet. She just is remember, it takes strength. That's why you're here. You're ornery. It's strength. <laughs> or you're you stand with the Lord. You've got to be aggressive spiritually. You can't take everything. You can't be kumbaya, whatever, you know, kesara, sara, whatever it will be, will be. And just you've got to have an aggression and say no to death. You've got to resist death. The same scripture that tells us about curses tells us about blessings. The good thing about the inheritance is. The blessings last for a thousand generations. A good heritage from serving the Lord. The long life is part of a godly heritage. Set up a godly heritage running down your family line. Set up where people live long. Satisfied, full of God, not wasting space. (laughs) That they actually do something that counts for the kingdom. The seventh one is that not being where you're supposed to be. Have you ever been where someone's killed and you discuss it and you think, wow, five seconds could have made a difference? So this one's more accidental. The other one's more rebellious not being where you're supposed to be. But this one is just, wow, five seconds pulling out later or earlier would have caused that not to happen. We had a horrible one that I can hardly stand thinking about, but a guy was cleaning his guns in a, oh, I think a filling station. And the gun went off and killed the girl at the pump. And I think she was a pastor's wife. And I was just thinking if the gun barrel had been a half an inch, it would have completely missed her because of the amount of space it traveled. It would have made all the difference. What makes the difference? Yeah, I remember David Meese, the singer, told me about the L.A. riots. He was watching people get pulled out of their window of their car and and just beat to a pulp. And there was a a black lady that was standing there, and she told him, turn right, turn right. And she was telling them to turn right, but they wouldn't, and they were getting killed. And he turned right, and it saved his life. And to this day, he thinks she was an angel that the Lord put there. But, you know, it's a very odd thing to think that it really counts on whether it's where you're supposed to be. That's why I always say on the mission field, the center of God's will is the safest place on earth. Because you can have something go wrong right here in your hometown. You can have something go wrong right where you live and be in a war zone and be protected. I want you to contrast this verse in Matthew 2, 13 through 18. You would think that just because Jesus was God's son, he would be protected. But Joseph had to take Jesus in the night to Egypt. I'm like, couldn't God have protected him supernaturally where he was? Being exactly where God wants you to be. Sometimes God will say to you, don't go there. Matthew 24, 15 through 18. Flee. It doesn't tell you just stand there, but it says when these things happen, flee. Oh, I'll just take a semester off from college. I would say be where you're supposed to be. It's important. Not only for life, but roads of connections and people you're supposed to meet it's important to be in the will of god so this is preventative once you're wiped out (laughs) you won't go back and look at this list (laughs) you can agree with me this is prevention (laughs) this is preventatively because you won't perfectly go down this list (laughs) once it goes wrong Oh, bring me those notes. I want to review them. This is either, it's now here, Elvis singing, it's now or never. (laughs) You've got to look at this. These things are not automatic. The death angel does not discriminate. Death devours and he's never satisfied. That's why this verse personifies death, that death is never satisfied. Two extremes. I don't care how long I live. If you say that, then you don't have a revelation of the calling God has on your life and your purpose. If you're saying, I don't care how long I live, you have never stepped into the purpose of God for your life. 
It is said in Acts 13.36 of King David, he served the purpose of God in his generation. Boy, doesn't that sound powerful just to say it? I will serve the purposes of God in my generation. Acts 13.36. And number two, that there's nothing in the Bible that shows authority just being used for yourself. This is not so you can live long and watch sports and soaps. <laughs> Sit on your duff doing nothing. <laughs> Oftentimes when a person just chooses to go home, they check out in no time. You know, um, you have some people and you find out they're just staying. You know, they'll say, are you just staying just for me? And the person will say, yeah, I'm just staying for you. You'll live longer for your purpose. I'll live longer for my purpose. If I have a concept of my purpose, I'll live longer. I'm going to give you a scripture on abortion. I just said, written this in here, and we can put it where it belongs in here. But God's first words to Jeremiah are, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Jeremiah 1.5 Does that imply that an abortion could undermine a divine plan? you got to make choices for you and your descendants. The plan of God is living on this earth until you complete your calling. Not going home early because the devil knocks you off. Not because you don't know your covenant rights. Not because you wimp out. Not because you get a little tired. But you fulfill the purposes of God on your life. These are the reasons why sometimes people slip out and they go home early. And yet they leave the purposes of God that God intended for their life unfulfilled for someone else to do. So that's why I'm challenging you tonight. See what God has to do. Get involved in the life that he has for you. So you'll grow old and satisfied with years. Amen.